turn, if you will, then to our text this morning, which comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 11 to 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. Thus far as the ring of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, if you are snuggled up on the couch watching the Weather Channel and you heard that a tornado was headed your way and it very well might come into contact with your house and it was too late to safely hop in your car and drive away, wouldn't you gather your family up and go into the basement to seek safe shelter? Or living in Wisconsin, if you hear that snow is coming, even in October, would you not go out to the shed and get your shovel out? Would you not go to the store and buy some salt? Maybe even before you go to bed, you might lift the windshield wipers up on your vehicle, especially if you have to go to work early in the morning. And why would we do all of that? Why would you, if you believed your tornado was coming, not go outside and play catch with your son in the front yard, but rather you would seek shelter? Or why, if you knew that a snowstorm was coming, would you go out and get your shovel and some salt instead of just sitting idly by? And it's because, brothers and sisters, we act in accordance with what we believe. We act in accordance with what we believe. And this is what we will see Paul doing in our text this morning. Paul acting in accordance with what he believes. And what do I mean by that? Well, what action does Paul take here in verses 11 to 13? What is it that Paul does? He breaks forth into prayer. And he does that because Paul believes something is true about prayer. And even more so, Paul believes that something is true about the one whom he prays to. And so Paul takes prayer very seriously. And we see this over and over again throughout this epistle. As in the opening chapter, we've seen Paul say that he constantly mentions the saints in his prayers. He says, every time I break forth into prayer, I don't forget to mention you. In chapter 2 we read that Paul prays thanksgiving to God for the Thessalonians and their reception of the gospel. Just last week we read that Paul says, I pray night and I pray day for you. He said, I pray daily, each and every day, that I might come to you to supply what is lacking. And so we see that prayer was exercised by Paul in order to remember and recognize the faith of the Thessalonians. We see that Paul exercised himself in prayer in order to offer thanksgiving to God for what he has already done in the life of the Thessalonians. And we see Paul breaks forth into prayer in order that God might continue to do something in the future for the saints in Thessalonica. So for Paul, prayer 
had many different and yet important aspects to it. It was a means of remembering for Paul. It was a means of thanking for Paul. And it was a means of asking for Paul. And yet, prayer would be unnecessary unless Paul felt and knew that prayer was effectual. You see, if if Paul could not talk to God because God could not hear us or God would not answer our prayer, prayer wouldn't mean much. Perhaps it would look like some pious thing that Christians engage in before the world, but what would be its purpose if God could not hear us and could not answer us? You see, but Paul prays because he understands who God is. Paul understands who God is. Just in this epistle alone, we have been told by Paul that he is a true and living God. We have been told that he is a powerful God who sent the gospel to the saints in Thessalonica so that they might be saved. We are told that he is a God who has approved the ministry of Paul and sent Paul to these saints, even in the midst of affliction. We're told that He is a a God who Paul seeks to please. He is a God who tests the hearts of every man, woman, and child. He is a God who Paul says, seeing how Paul conducted himself before the saints. God, he says, witnessed how I behaved. He is also a God who Paul says, is worthy of praise and thanksgiving. You see, brothers and sisters, this is why prayer matters. Because God is not a rock. Perhaps He is figuratively. But God is not a rock literally. Our God lives and He acts in human history. And He calls upon us to pray unto Him for all that weighs heavy upon our hearts. He calls on us to pray to Him for one another. He calls on us to pray to Him for ourselves. And if you believe what Paul says is true about God and about prayer, if we believe that too to be true, wouldn't we be in prayer? And wouldn't we be in prayer often? Daily as Paul is, night and day. You see, so often, brothers and sisters, we affirm, yes, our God is great. And He can do all things. Yet then why is it that we act so contrary to what we say we believe? I'm sure that we've all heard it or have said it before ourselves. If I want something done right, I will do it myself. But this is untrue. And we see this in the example of Paul here in chapter 3. Paul again and again and again tried to get back to the saints in Thessalonica. But he couldn't do it. He tried to make the situation right. He tried to fix it. But it could not be fixed, could it? He couldn't fix it himself. We may be struggling with circumstances in our own life now. Perhaps at work. We're struggling at work and we're thinking about leaving. Perhaps you're struggling at at school with friends. Perhaps you're struggling with your finances. You're struggling with some sort of health concern and you say to yourself, all I need to do is A and B and I can fix the situation. But if we've learned anything from Paul, this is now not how we ought to think, brothers and sisters. And we all know this. Theologically, we, we all affirm that. Intellectually, we know, yes, I'm to lean on God for His wisdom and His understanding. Intellectually, we know, yes, we are to to cast ourselves wholly upon Him, to to be dependent solely on Him. 
But practically, why do we live so opposite? Why do we live in such an opposite manner in our lives? And we shouldn't, brothers and sisters, especially if we understand, like Paul, who God is. The God who grants to us wisdom and understanding. The God who opens doors of opportunity for us. A God who grants to us greater love and peace and comfort. A God who always provides for His people. And so, brothers and sisters, in knowing this, and learning this, it ought to motivate us to live in accordance with what we believe, just as Paul has shown to us. Right? To think and to act in a consistent manner. And so this morning, we're going to look at this prayer that Paul offers to God. And we're going to see what his prayer says about what he believes. How his prayer is shaped by what he believes, just as ours ought to be. And so we're going to look at this prayer under three headings. The first is that Paul believes it is God who directs our paths. The second is that Paul believes it is God who increases our love. And third, Paul believes it is God who establishes our hearts. It is God who directs our ways. It is God who increases our love. And it is God who establishes our hearts. So to look at point one, let us read once more verse 11. Where Paul says, Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Paul realizes that if he is ever going to get back to these saints in Thessalonica, he needs God to get him there. Paul recognizes already his human efforts aren't enough. As we learn, Satan hindered Paul from getting there. And he recognizes also That the first time he got there, remember, Paul's already been there. He already planted the church. That that was due to God's plan and purpose. So Paul has two experiences. He has an experience of God opening the door for him to plant the church there. And Paul has the experience of God closing the door and not allowing him to return once more. And so Paul has these two experiences and he recognizes, you know what? It's not up to me. It's up to God who will open and direct my path and lead me there if that's where He wants me to be. And so what does Paul do? He turns to God in prayer and he asks, God, please direct my path there if it is Your will. And he must be okay with whatever the result is then. You know, This is another problem, brothers and sisters, that we have. We are happy to go to God in prayer when He answers it the way that we desire and that we like. But what happens when His answer to us is No. This is where understanding that God's ways are not our ways comes into play. Just because we want something, just because we think what we want to do is the good and the right thing to do, doesn't mean that it is according to the will of God. Paul thought his timing was right to be able to get to these saints, but God told him, Paul, no. And so now Paul turns to him, and Paul asks that God would lead him and guide him to them once more. Because Paul knows that it is God alone who directs the steps of the saints. And don't we see this today in ministers alike, right? How uh, often have we seen a minister and we thought, for certain God has opened the door to him there. And then all of a sudden, that door seems to close and and he's off somewhere else. We have experience with young ministers in our midst as well. right? We thought, well, maybe this might be the place that God has them. But no, that door is shut and God opens it somewhere else. Right? This is what we're told in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The heart 
of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or the psalmist says in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. What a comfort that ought to be to us, brothers and sisters. Right? What a beautiful truth that is. Because no one said that the Christian life was easy. No one said that when you become a Christian, you get everything that you ask for. But what we do here, what we hear here, brothers and sisters, is that God is always with the saints. He is always directing and guiding our steps. And so even though we might suffer, even, th- even though things don't go our way, we learn that God is always keeping us afloat. His merciful hand is always upon us. He will not let us sink. What a comfort that is to us. And so, brothers and sisters, we must learn to discern the will of God in order that we might delight in His ways, like the psalmist says. And this is revealed to us in His Word. And so we are to trust that Word and to obey it. And in doing so, we can have confidence that we can go before the throne of grace and we can offer our prayers to God and that He will answer them according to His will. And even if it's not the answer that we want, even if it's no, you have to suffer. Even if it's no, you cannot go back to the saints in Thessalonica like He said to Paul. We must have peace with that. Knowing that God is working out His plan in all of our lives. Knowing that Even though it's not our plan, that's a good thing because our plans are faulty. God's plans are not. And so this is to be a source of comfort for us. Knowing that we aren't being told no, we aren't being told to suffer for no reason. There is a purpose behind all that is happening even if we cannot wrap our finite minds around it. Yet what is also interesting to us here in verse 11 is who Paul directs his prayer to. Who is who is it that Paul goes before and says, please direct my path? Who is it he offers this prayer to? It is both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul again, in how he addresses this prayer, demonstrates to us what he believes. Here again, he is acting in accordance with what he believes. And what does he believe? He believes in the deity of Christ. He believes also in the one true God, being a good Jew. And so he understands that the Father is God and the Son is God, or else he would never direct this prayer in this way. He would say, Father, please direct my steps and use your Son for this. But that's not what he says, is it? He says, Father and Son, direct my way, direct my path. He joins Father and Son in this one work. In asking them both this, He joins them in glory and honor and majesty as well. And this would be blasphemous if they were not co-equal. If they were not of the same substance and of the same essence. And so, brothers and sisters, we too, like Paul, must make sure our prayers are good, orthodox, Christian prayers. We're not Unitarians and we're not polytheists. So let our prayers be Trinitarian. Because it is the the Trinity, the Godhead, the three in one and the one in three who work on our behalf. It is the Father we pray to in the name of the Son by the aid of the Spirit. 
Remember, we are too are to act in accordance with what we believe. So let us pray also in accordance with what we believe. And in this way, we honor and glorify God for it is the, the whole Trinity who directs our paths. And so we see that Paul believes it is the one true God who directs our paths as he asks that God would guide him to the saints in Thessalonica. But whether the answer is yes or no, Paul asks something else of God. This is what we see here in verse 12. And here is point two. Paul believes it is God who increases our love. As he says in verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do you. You see, Paul knows, irrespective of whether he ever gets to go back and see the saints or not, in order to fill up what is lacking in them, that God will not abandon these saints, that God will continue to bless these saints. And so Paul, knowing this, knowing that it is God who gives the increase, goes before God and asks that God would increase these saints in love. Here again, Paul is acting in accordance with his beliefs. Paul knows that it is God who gives the increase. The minister only plants and waters, but it is God who will bring to completion. It is God who grows us. And so God can use any minister to teach the saints as He has already used Timothy. He doesn't need Paul. And so Paul demonstrating love for these saints and seeking their growth and seeking their increase in love asks that God would grant them a greater measure of love. And why does Paul ask for love? Remember what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. After Paul goes through saying what the saints ought to put off being new creatures in Christ and telling them what they ought to put on now as those same creatures in Christ. He says in verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He's talking about putting on that love for God and that love for neighbor. For it is love that brings unity. It is love that brings harmony. And it is love that brings peace within the church. Even when we are being assaulted from the world outside. And so this is what Paul desires of the saints. This is what God's desire is for His church. To exercise our love toward Him in obedience to His Word, in obedience to His law to exercise love towards one another in coming here and worshiping together and praying together and singing together and taking the Lord's Supper together and standing side by side together for the sake of the Gospel. This glorifies God. And in doing this, we reflect the holy nature of God as His body here on earth. Yet what else about this love that Paul asked for makes us stand out from the world? What else about this love makes us stand out from the world? It is loving those who hate us. This is what Paul asked for in verse 12. That not only that we love those saints, that we love our brothers and sisters, but that we love all people, Paul says. And this is really where the, where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because if the Christian life was just about loving brother and sister, it would be much easier, wouldn't it be? But that is not all that we are asked to do as the saints. Because even the unbeliever can love those who are near and dear to them, don't they? They love family and friends just like we love our family and friends. 
But this world despises those who they would consider their enemies. We've, there are many different phrases used, but we've, we've heard something akin to even if I was in the, the desert and I seen my, my enemy there and he needed water, I would not give him a drop as I passed by him, right? This is what we hear from the world. But this is their sinfulness of man. For what has Christ shown us? Christ has shown us love and what true love is. And it was dying in the place of wretched sinners. This is why we need to go to God and ask Him that He might increase our love. Not just for each other, but for the world. Because remember, even if we don't get along with someone at work, or we don't get along with someone at school, because they are mistreating us or abusing us in some way, and we find them to be unlovable, Brothers and sisters, we too are unlovable. And yet what happened? Yet Christ still loved us. There was nothing lovable about us. There was nothing redeeming about us. We spat in the face of God. And yet the Father sent His Son that He might die for our sins. That we might have eternal life. And now in light of that grace, in light of that love that God has shown to us, Will we not now demonstrate that same love to those who hate and despise us? And what we have to ask ourselves, what is it that Christ teaches us about love? Turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, and we will see what Christ says about what true love is, what Christian love ought to be. Matthew chapter 5, we'll look at verses 43 through 48. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Hear with me the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see here, brothers and sisters, we are told what perfect love is. Not just loving those who love us back. But we are to love our enemies. And how are we to love our enemies? Jesus says we are to pray for them. We are to greet them. We are to speak to them. We are not to treat them like like lepers. We are to proclaim the word to them. That is both law and gospel. We are to tell them about the impending judgment and the only rod of escape which is Christ Jesus the Savior. The one in whom we are to tell them they are made in the image of. And why are we to love our neighbors in such a manner? Because the Father loves them in this manner. And as as His children, we are to reflect the Father's love. And His love is a heavenly love, a divine love. So it is a love that is unnatural to you and I. And so if we desire it, we must go before God and seek it out and ask for it. Ask that He would grant to us love that we might look like His sons and daughters here on earth. 
that we might give in that divine love so that we might reflect the holy character of God as His body and bride here on earth so that He might be glorified through it. And yet, what is the purpose of this love? Why does Paul ask that the saints be granted an increase of this love? Well, look at verse 13. He says, So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Here is point three. Paul believes that it is God who establishes our hearts. God establishes our hearts blameless in holiness through love, Paul says. This is what Paul asks in his prayer. Paul prays that we increase in love so that He would establish our hearts blameless. You see, without love, brothers and sisters, our hearts would be cold. Our hearts would be cold. We would not have love toward God and toward neighbor. Rather, our love would be directed towards ourself, like so much of this ungodly world does. Yet this is selfishness. This is the opposite of blamelessness and holiness. And why does Paul desire that our hearts be established blameless and holiness? Well, what does he say? For the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Paul here is speaking about the time of judgment. For without holiness of heart, judgment is a terrible thing for you and I. For the thought of being brought before the throne of God, being brought before the Father without having a holy heart should be a terrible and trembling thing for the unbeliever. For they will be judged according to the God's righteous standard, which is a perfect standard of righteousness which only Christ fulfilled. And yet, brothers and sisters, you and I, who have been united to Christ through faith, yet even now, are only holy in part. We are only holy in part. This is why we must continue to grow in love that our hearts would continue to be established, blameless in holiness. And this is so important for us here practically on earth. This is why Paul is so desirous of this for the saints in Thessalonica. He wants their hearts to be established, blameless in holiness, so that they would not be deceived. He wants them to remain stable and firmly fixed in the faith. And this comes about through being established in your heart, blameless in holiness. He wants them to be able to look forward to the time when Christ returns, where their hearts will be fully made holy, when they will be perfected by Christ at His return with the saints. And yet even now, brothers and sisters, although we are only holy in part, we can have an unblameable heart. We can have hearts that do not accuse us or condemn us or drive us mad with uncertainty. We can have peace of conscience. Even now. And this is through faith alone in that atoning sacrifice. In that blood of the perfect and spotless Lamb who takes away the sins of everyone who were to believe in Him. You see, brothers and sisters, it is faith that purifies our conscience and should cause us to be confident that we are Christ's. And yet, we must continue to pursue this blamelessness and this holiness, not for any merit's sake, but because it works with inside of each and every one of us to give us evidence that we are Christ. When we see 
that our hearts become more holy, when we see that we are continually to practice godliness and holiness, when we see ourselves growing in love, when we see less and less our hearts accusing us, when we see that we are being less beaten down, we see that that is evidence to us that we are Christ, and that He is working inside of each and every one of us. And so we need to ask that God will continue to establish our hearts blameless in holiness, so that if there be any doubt, if anyone here has a conscience that is shaken, that the Lord would quiet it through His grace. And we all then as believers can look forward to that time when Christ returns, where we will be vindicated before the Father because of Christ's work on the cross, as Christ has made satisfaction for you and I on our behalf for sin. And yet even now, brothers and sisters, we can know that if we are in Christ, we have already passed from death to life. And what a comfort that should be for us. What a comfort that should be to us. And so as we draw to a close this morning, I hope we have seen what acting in accordance with your belief means. And that we would seek to conform our practice to those things that we say that we believe. Right? That we would turn to God in prayer for all that we need that we would stop trying to fix things on our own, that we would turn to God in order that He might direct our path, that we would turn to God in order that He might increase our love, and that we might turn to God, that He might establish the hearts of every saint. Brothers and sisters, please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truthfulness of it. We thank You for the comfort that it brings to the saints. Father, we ask that You would uh, give to us the recognition that we ought to turn away from ourselves and turn solely upon You for all that we need. That we might uh, gain more and more recognition uh, to the fact that it is You alone who directs our steps. It is You alone who makes our hearts abound in love. And it is You who will establish our hearts blameless at the coming of Christ. And so, Father, we pray that You would continue to increase us in all of these ways, for the sake of your Son and our Savior. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.